We're in a series right now entitled Energy Boost, and we feel like that many of us are at the point we need, a, we need an energy boost. And we're emphasizing the recovering of desire and restoring hopes. And I'd like to zero in on recovering desires. There's some of us here in the room, we've lost our desire. You say you don't want to do it anymore. You say you've, you've, lost, the, you've lost the edge, you've lost the want to. You, there's things that you were passionate about, goals and dreams that you kind of put on the shelf and you don't want to pursue them anymore. You've lost your desire. I want to speak on the subject this weekend of it works. It worked. And some of us are saying in our life, it didn't work. Some of us are saying about our faith, it didn't work. I, Pastor, I, I did all the right things, and the wrong was done to me. It didn't work. I, I raised my kids in church, and they have strayed. It didn't work. Some of us are saying, I, I, I tried to I tried to make the marriage work. I, I've gone to counseling, but it didn't work. I want to put a word from the Lord in your heart today, and that is, it'll work. In the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, just probably six pages in your print Bible, four chapters, it's, it's found right between Judges and Samuel. Probably a book you don't read very often and many of us have never read. But I believe in those four chapters and in this one narrative, God is speaking a timeless truth that applies to every one of us who have lost desire in life. Let me introduce, if I can, the book to you a little bit. And I want to quote what one scholarly commentator said, and I quote as he describes the book. This is a book about the ways of God in human life. Mystified by the hiddenness of God and the absence of an audible voice, miracles and vision in their own experience, they want to know God's presence in their daily life. Their unvoiced dream is that their work and play, their family and friendships might have more than just marked time. This story strikes a responsive chord in its audience. It portrays God as involved in the ordinary affairs of life. Indeed, they are exactly the arena he chooses to operate. End of quote. Yes. God steps into the ordinary. And God does the extraordinary. And the story of Ruth tells us that. We open the book. And we're introduced to a lady by the name of Ruth. She's just an ordinary person. But by the end of chapter 1, she's a nobody. Starts off as an ordinary person and ends the first chapter feeling like a nobody. Chapter 1, verse number 1, we're 10 words into the, into the book and we are acquainted with the word famine. Let me bring the equivalent to that in our language, in our culture, recession. A famine in the day in which you made your livelihood by farming or 
tending animals. A famine was tantamount to recession and immediately were introduced. There was recession that came to people in Moab. We journey just three more verses in chapter 1. And a man by the name of Elimelech dies. He's the patriarch of the family, Naomi. His wife is now a widow, but she has two sons and she has two daughter-in-laws. We go down two more verses. Verse number 5, and the two sons die. Now we have three penniless widows. In a time of recession, they have lost everything. In chapter 1, there's a loss of a husband, a loss of a father-in-law, loss of livelihood, loss of security, loss of home, loss of family, loss of identity, loss of dreams, loss of faith, all in chapter 1. We go in chapter 1 to a somebody, to a nobody. We'll turn the page. We're into chapter 2. And now you have... You have widows living and scratching a living by the welfare system of that day. They journeyed back to Israel. They were in Moab. They had no livelihood whatsoever, so so they move. Ruth is now in Israel. Verse number 2 of chapter 2 says that they're living on leftovers. Literally, the Bible says, picking up leftovers, which was the welfare system of that day the welfare system of that day was such that if you won't had a field and you you were raising crops along the edge and in the corners you were to leave a little bit on the edge so that the poor people the widows could come in and collect grain or vegetables or whatever you were farming or raising for themselves and if by chance you were loading things up on your cart of your ox and something rolled off you were to leave it on the ground and the poor people were allowed to come into the field and pick it up. That was the welfare system of that day. And the Bible says that they were living on the leftovers. In other words, it wasn't working. Have you ever said that? It won't work. I quit. I'm giving up. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I have no more energy left. I'm dropping out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to check out. I'm withdrawing from school. I just can't do this anymore. Sometimes parenthood, it becomes so, uh, such an obligation, and you're looking for the exit door in life. Moms, have motherhood been so heavy? You wanted to turn in your, your, your motherhood license? Yeah. I just, the obligations never stop. Don't you wish life was like a computer? And when there was a problem, an error screen would come up. But our lives are not like that. When there's a problem, an error screen does not come up. In life, when you have problems, you get feelings and not an error screen. Feelings of anger. Feelings of betrayal. Feelings of abandonment. Feelings of being used, feelings of being unloved in life. And all of these emotions come. And it inevitably seems to take us to a place where we say, it's not working. May I take us to one passage of Scripture? It's not in the book of Ruth, but it's in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 19. I'll read it to you in the message version. But it overlays, I believe, the book of Ruth. It says, we humans keep brainstorming options and plans but God's purpose prevails. Remind yourself, your best plans may fail. 
You, you can do the best. You can schedule out. You can plan your life, your family. You can do your best in life. But in the end, God's purposes always prevail. Let me bring it down succinctly to this. It'll work if you'll follow God. Life will work if you'll follow God. I told you we are introduced to Ruth, and she starts off as ordinary. Chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, she's a nobody. But she's going to learn. God is always writing a new chapter to your life. Don't get caught in chapter 1 of your life. Don't get caught in the disappointment of the day because God is always writing another chapter. Let me put it this way. God turns abrupt endings into new beginnings. God turns an abrupt ending in your life into a new beginning. That's why our mission statement is making new. God always has a making new moment. And life may have dealt you a blow and you're saying it's not working. But let me just add to that. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. When everything is falling apart, when life isn't working, God is still at work in your life. He doesn't give up on you. And God can do something. God can restore your desires and in the book of Ruth, if you'll allow me very quickly, I'd like to pick up three insights, three steps to recover desire. And some of us need that. Amen. Some of us, we're just kind of flat in life. We've lost our, our goal, our dream, our gumption, our direction. We've lost our want to in life. You feel like you're coasting downhill you feel like you're losing steam and you're losing energy and purpose in your life. And I want to share with you three things from the story of Ruth on how to recapture your desire. Number one, you want to recapture your desire? Recognize when it's time to move on. Recognize in life when it's time to move on. Sometimes we can just sit and soak and in, in a moment. We, we, we can get caught in a mood and bemoan the moment, and we just kind of get, get caught in this, this attitude and this depression and despair and say, I can't do anything about it. If you're going to recapture your desire, you have to know when it's time to move on. Notice in chapter 1, verse number 6, as soon as Ruth and Naomi, their widows, their famine in the land, they can't do anything about it. Things are out of their control. Verse number 6 says, When they heard in Moab the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing them food, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. There's a time you just say, guess what? Moab has lost its luster. Moab might have been good for a while, but God's visiting his people over here, and I need to get out of this mess. There's times you just got to move on in life. And the Bible says, and when she heard, did you notice that in verse number 6? She didn't get an Excel spreadsheet. She didn't get a P&L statement. She, she, she didn't have a headhunter come and recruit her. Hey, why don't you come back here, fill out the application. Here's the portfolio. Here's what God's doing. Uh, guess what? Their home's at a discount. Here's, here's what the economy is like. She didn't, she didn't have any as-you-were proofs. She just heard a rumor, and she said, based upon the rumor, it's time to leave here and go on. 
I ask the question rhetorically, is there an expiration date on your dream? The thing you've been holding on to, been hoping for that hasn't come to pass, is there an expiration date on it? Is it time to move on? Is it time to go past that? Is it time to step beyond that? Has God said the season is over? Sometimes in life you just got to say, guess what? It didn't happen. It just didn't work out. It didn't happen in the time frame. And now we just have to shake the dust of our, our feet and move on to the new thing that God has for us in our life. The Bible says that Ruth, she went from Moab to Israel. In other words, she went from the familiar to the unknown. The familiar can be very comfortable, can it? Oh, this is, you know, it's, it's not the best, but it's the only thing I know. And we can stay in the familiar, the same habits, the same routine, the same practices. We know it's not working. It's not the best. But instead of going to the unknown, we just stay where we are. I talk to people sometimes, and I'll hear something like this. You know, Pastor, the best music was written 20 years ago. Sacred and secular. Oh, the, the, the best love songs were written 20 years ago. The best worship songs were 20 years ago. They're stuck in the past. I've had some people say the only verse in the Bible you can read that's the only good one is the King James Version. I hear people say, you know what? The best friends I ever had were the friends I had over there 10 years ago. You know, people in San Antonio, they're not friendly. All my friends are back there at home where I moved from. We can get stuck in the past. And there's a time to say we need to move on. You can't hold on to the past. You can't live in the past. And God is saying letting go is not giving up. Let go of Moab and journey to where God is leading you. Don't get caught in yesteryear. God has something new to do for you and something new to introduce to you, but you got to let go of the past in order to do that. You've got to recognize when it's time to move on. Occasionally, Denise and I will play cards, and we'll be playing phase 10. And you know you have to pick a card, but the game cannot go on until you discard you got to let go of one and Denise will hold her cards and I'll tell her baby you can't pray different colors to come on those cards they're not going to change colors the numbers are not going to make a decision because she's sitting there trying to strategize because she just wants to win okay she just she just wants to to beat me at the card game and sometimes we're just caught and we need to we need to discard something we're going to have to let go of something. Some of us are one let go moment of God doing something new. Oh, I was a weak amen. Some of us are one let go moment of God doing something new in our life. Some of us are praying for God to bring uh, the, the right person in our life. But guess what? We're dating the wrong person. You know it. You know it's dysfunctional. You know it's unhealthy. But if I, if I break up, I'll have nobody and I'll be alone. Can I tell you? Moab with the wrong person is still the wrong thing and the wrong place to be. 
Why don't you, why don't you let me have your phone? I'll help you out with that. I'll, I'll send him a text and get it all cured out for you right now, huh? Yes. Sometimes if we could unfriend one person, a new friend could walk in the door. But we're caught in the past. We're caught in a toxic relationship. We're caught in a toxic friendship. And God is saying, let go of the past so you can move into the future that God has for you. If you're going to recover your desire, recognize when it's time to let go. Number two is you have to step into your new beginning. You can let go of the past but not step into the new beginning. You can stay in the in-between stage. You know, indecision. Oh, I'm not doing that, but I have made up my mind what I'm going to do. And some of us have been in indecision for months and years. Yeah. You know, I moved down here. I'm not sure if I'm going to stay. Well, how long have you been here? Eight years. Well, it's time, okay? It's time. Well, I don't make friends in church because we've been thinking about moving back home to our home church. How long have you been gone? We've been gone seven years. You seven years? You know what? Yeah. Well, it's, it's time to make friends here. We can not move into our new beginning. Now, this is found in chapter 3, verse number 9. It's in the story. Ruth and Naomi, they leave Moab. It's in a time of famine. They go to Israel, the Holy Land. They're living on the welfare system. Ruth is going out and gathering leftovers. But all of a sudden, a man by the name of Boaz recognizes her and says, Hmm, my eye is caught by her. Now, there's a little cultural thing I need to explain to you. In that era, if you were a widow, there was a cultural thing because it's a survival economy if there was somebody in the family if there was somebody in the family you would look to them to for them to bring you into their home to provide for you even marry them because it was a survival economy and Boaz realized you know what there's a there's somebody else that has rights to her but I'd like to marry her. I, I'd like her. That she, she captures my eye and attention. So that brings us down to verse number 9 of chapter 3. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since we, you are a kinsman redeemer. What does that mean? That wasn't wasn't inappropriate there was no sexual intention here it was a cultural thing if you put the garment over that was an overture of saying yes I'm interested it'd be like saying today let's go together let's go together yeah you remember when you're in high school you give her your class ring and then she'd have to put yarn or something all over it because it's too big to wear on her finger she'd put it on a necklace that was saying we're together. We're dating. We're, we're a couple. This was similar to that. It means I, I, I extend my heart. I would, like us, I would like us to be engaged here. I'd like us to be considered a couple. I'm talking about stepping into your new beginning. There is something found in verse number 9 I'd like you to notice. When Boaz asked, who are you? 
She says, I am your servant, Ruth. Wait, stop. We're in chapter 3, and Ruth identifies herself. I am your servant, Ruth. Don't you wish, guys, that when you (laughs) ask her to marry, that would be a biblical reply, wouldn't it? I am your servant, Denise. Oh, doesn't that that just sound good? That's so biblical, too. That's so biblical, huh? (laughs) Ah, I'm not getting amens from the ladies right now. Stay with me. Come on, stay stay with me, ladies. Stay with me, ladies, okay? (laughs) Yeah, stay with me. She said, I'm your servant, Ruth. Here's what she did not say. Seven times in this book before chapter 3, verse number 9, Ruth always self-identifies herself. I am Ruth from Moab. I am a Moabite. I am a foreigner. Seven times in this book before this moment, she always introduced or describes herself from where she's been. I am from Moab. I am a foreigner. I am a Moabite. But now she says, I'm leaving that behind and I'm stepping into my new beginning. I'm no longer from Moab. I'm no longer going to be identified where I came from. I now identify where I am. And it is at this moment she steps into her new beginning. What I'm saying, there comes a moment you have to fully step into your new beginning. If you're new to faith in Christ, you recently gave your heart to Jesus, fully step into your new beginning. It's time to get connected in the church. It's time to join a life group. It's time to get on a growth track. It's time to move forward. Not just say a prayer and then your life operates as it were. You need to to move away from the old life and move into the new life. Step into your new beginning. Yes. Fellas, when you get married, you step into the marriage, you're stepping into a new beginning. Now, single guys, I'm going to give you some advice. I'm going to give you some advice. When I was growing up and I was home before I got married to Denise, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest, I was a mama's boy. Yeah, and it was good, can I tell you? Mom took care of me. Mom just took care of me. Now, I will tell you, I'm not a real fan of potato chips. You like potato chips? Have them. I'm just not a potato chip fan. I'm not a tater tot person. I'm not. I like homemade french fries. And mom would make me homemade french fries. I, I got up in the morning. Mom said, what do you want for breakfast? Mom, I'd like to have french fries. She would peel the potatoes. I've watched mom so many. She peels the potatoes. She cuts them up in a certain length, a certain way. She puts the fryer to working, and then all of a sudden she takes the French fries and she drops them in. I can still right now hear the sizzling. And then all of a sudden when they're golden brown, I mean they're at the right place. I want them golden brown. I don't want, I don't want them halfway golden brown. She takes them out. She puts them on a the plate. She salts them, and when they're still hot, puts them on a the plate, serves them to me hot. And I just baptize them with ketchup. Ah, that's great. 
that's great. And I just asked Mama, I want French fries. Mom would make them. If I came home, said, Mom, I want French she'd make me French fries. There's many times we would go to the dinner table and say, Mom, what are you making? Oh, we're going to have this and mashed potatoes. Mom, I don't like mashed potatoes. She knows, what do you want, sweetheart? Well, I want French fries. Okay, sweetheart, that's I'll make you. So she'd make the rest of the family mashed potatoes, and Mama would make me French fries. Okay? And then she'd say, is that what you want, honey? Sure, honey. So I get married. Okay? And that's, I just expect homemade french fries when I want them. She make mashed potatoes. I don't want mashed potatoes. Honey, I want french fries. And I was explaining to Denise, we're married, how my mama would do it. And I gave her the seminar how she would cut them up and the length and how she did it. And mom just always kept the fryer available because it's that way it's whenever I want them. And I explained that and Denise is looking at me. And when I'm done, guys, I'm going to help you, guys. I'm going to help you. When we're done, here's what Denise says. Thus saith the Lord, I ain't your mama. <laughs> yeah. There's women clapping there. There's, there are no men clapping on that one. Oh, I'm telling you, she, you, ain't, you ain't home anymore. She said, your mama spoiled you. And... And that's just not going to happen here, okay? You got to step into your new beginning. Wherever you are, you just got to step into it. You got to become a part of it. You got to integrate into it. You just got to say, God, this is where I'm at, and I'm going to give my whole heart to this right now. Step into your new beginning. Don't hold on to Moab. Walk away. Don't describe yourself as a, as a former as an ex, step into your new beginning. And then number three, you want to recover your desire? You need to affirm the dream. Affirm the dream. It's in chapter four, the last chapter of the book. Ruth and Boaz, they marry. She started off as a somebody. She went to a nobody. But God doesn't leave you as a nobody. God always has a plan and a purpose. He brings Boaz into the story. Boaz and Ruth will marry. She went from scratching out a living on the welfare system. She married into wealth, and her future was taken care of. They marry, and then in chapter 14 says, and then God gave them a son. Verse 17, and they named him Obed. Obed. In the Hebrew culture, you didn't just pick a name. If you ever gave a child a name in the Hebrew culture, you gave it a meaning. You, you would assign to a child the name or the season or what God had taught you or what God did in the birth of this child. And they named him Obed, which in the Hebrew means it works. It works. So she started off and everything she dreamed for didn't work. But she never gave up on God's plan. And then finally, she married Boaz. She affirmed the dream because when God gave her Obed, she said it worked. 
And I'm here to say for everyone here, God wants you to give birth to your own personal Obed. God wants to bring it to your life where you say it worked. It worked trusting God. It worked following God. It worked tithing. It worked living for God. It worked by doing life God's way. It worked. I didn't, I didn't throw in the towel on the marriage. It worked. There was a time it wasn't working. And there was a time I wanted to quit. But I didn't quit. And my final verdict in life is with God, it works. God, someone said, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footstep in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs, he works his sovereign will. So judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trusting for his grace, for behind a frowning province, God hides a smiling face. Amen. The final verdict for the people of faith is, it works. And I want you to know, it'll work for you. So across this auditorium, I invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes for a closing prayer. There's some of us in the room right now, you're saying, it didn't work. You think faith didn't work for you. You think serving God and being faithful him, to him didn't work. You're thinking right now that the marriage is not working. Counseling didn't work. Believing didn't work. Trying hard. Playing by the rules didn't work. You're discouraged. And you've lost desire. You don't even want to try again. I want you to know when you're tired and life doesn't work God doesn't give up and God has an obed for you God has a promise to fulfill in your life yet and the final verdict if you walk with God will be it did work if you're at that moment of discouragement you feel like your hopes and your prayers are feel depleted right now. We're going to pray. And if that's you, I want you to hold your hand up. Just say, Pastor, I'm one right now. I feel like it's not working. I've just been so discouraged lately. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Oh, the Lord bless you. Thank you in the balcony. It's not working. You put your hand down. For everyone that raised their hand, I want to just say to you before you pray, before we pray, there's some things you'll only be able to celebrate when you're on the other side on the other side and you're on one side of the mountain God's saying don't give up keep climbing the mountain don't walk out don't, don't throw in the towel 
Stay faithful because God has an Obed for you. Father, I pray for those that have indicated by an upraised hand. Their hearts are heavy. They walked in today saying it's not working. But God, you showed up. And you're speaking to them from the life of a lady whose faith proves to us it does work. That if we stay faithful and keep our eyes upon the Lord, you always bring an Obed in our life. And I pray, God, bring their Obed. Bring their promise. Give them hope. Show them, God, you are faithful in their life. Right now, give them assurance they're not alone. Give them assurance, God, you're going to take them to a, a new beginning. They're not stuck in Moab. They're not stuck in defeat. I speak promise. And for that person, I speak over them the promise of Isaiah 61. You're going to take away the spirit of heaviness and give them a garment of praise. Bring joy back to their life. I speak that, and God, I call them. The Holy Spirit calls us into your new beginning. And I ask that in their behalf, in Jesus' name.